Welcome to the KPB Review Podcast. My name is Andy Davis and this is episode 15 of season 3. And this week we're looking at two really interesting and highly relevant and timely subjects. First up, we're looking at the return of major industry events and in particular what's happening with the KBB show in Birmingham in March 2022. As I'm sure so many of you remember, the 2020 show took place just a couple of weeks before the first lockdown and since then the events industry has clearly been one of the hardest hit. But the 2022 show is not only on, it's looking like it will be better than ever, so we'll find out the latest from senior event manager Jenny Purvis. Then we move on to the most valuable of retailer resources, reputation. We've looked at this before, but in particular, we're looking today at protecting your hard-earned reputation when customers are unhappy about things out of your control, such as, and everyone take a deep breath, the current delays on products. We have a great case study from retailer Shira Khan from Sheraton Interiors in Twickenham, as well as reputation management expert Andrew Holland. And what's really interesting about this one is, it's not just about the retailers' reputations with their consumers, it's about the reputation that brands have with their retailers. So don't miss it. But first... Even though I say it myself, the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021 in Liverpool just gets better and better. The Liverpool Cathedral venue for the ceremony and dinner is just iconic, of course. And now we've announced our amazing host, the brilliant Joel Domit. But now, courtesy of Kuka, there is an incredible after-party in a top nightclub just a few minutes away. And don't worry, if you have an invite to the cathedral, you get an exclusive pass to the Kuka Club too. And that includes our celebrity DJ for the night, who is uh, still a surprise as I record this. But I think many of you will know who it is by the time you hear it. So it's the biggest industry event of the year, and it's the return of what this industry does best, face-to-face networking. So that's September the 15th at the Liverpool Cathedral, and you can guarantee your place now at kbbreview.com forward slash awards. So events and exhibitions have always been a big part of the industry, but of course they've been non-existent since the lockdowns began a year and a half ago in face-to-face terms. So in the UK they don't get bigger than the KBB show in Birmingham, and with the next one due in March next year, let's find out what's happening with Jenny Purvis, the Senior Event Manager at Show Organiser in former markets. Hello Jenny. Hi Andy, good morning, how are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. It's very sunny up in my loft today. It's almost blinding me. <laughs> Is that the fairy lights or the sunlight? It's the sunlight. It's like I'm having an out-of-body experience. There's this weird shaft of light that's right on me. Now, before we talk about KBB 2022, let's touch a little bit on KBB 2020 because I think it helps to really understand just how close it came to not happening and just what the context of that is for what we've been through since then because it took place in the first week of March, wasn't it? It was the 1st to the 4th of March 2020. And, of course, the national lockdown began on March the 23rd. It was like literally 20 or so days later. So we were all very lucky that we managed to have that show at all, weren't we? Yeah, it's almost bonkers to think that we did actually manage to run it. However, when we were on site, I actually remember the train home and the team and I were all dispersed amongst the carriage. And I was talking to our event coordinator and she said, there's only 85 confirmed cases at the moment. And I said, okay, well, that's quite manageable. You know, that's not what Italy was seeing or China was seeing. And then we went on to talk about how it was so frustrating that neither of us could get our Sainsbury's slot. And I think when you go on site, you become a little bit of a bubble. And we'd obviously been checking the news so regularly, but we hadn't heard about people beginning to stockpile and people beginning to book up the delivery slots and the toilet roll shortage. That hadn't quite hit us so by the time we got back to London and I walked into my flat and my flatmates were saying 
it's getting a bit crazy at the moment. We've been told that to brace for the worst, um, you might start working from home next week. And I thought, I've got the KBB after show party next week. I'm not working from home next week. But actually, yeah, we had one more week in the office and then we didn't go back in until, yeah, I think it was October 2020 was the first time that we went back in after the first lockdown. So yes, I think in hindsight, it was wonderful that we managed to do KBB 2020. And um, I think it was a testament to the industry that we all came together in the face of 85 COVID cases. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it just shows how quickly it escalated from from nothing to everything in one go, doesn't it? And literally in the space of those two weeks, we went from all gathering in one place at, at the KBB show for you and at the awards for us. And then two weeks later, we weren't even allowed to see family. It was very, very odd. Yeah. We first heard about, I say heard about it in quotation marks, about coronavirus back in the end of January. Our creative director, I remember this so well, our creative director sent round a link to a BBC News article saying that BA weren't flying from China to London anymore. They, they temporarily halted it. And so obviously having the Chinese pavilion at KBB, we thought, OK, we need to monitor this. And then the conversations started happening with our Chinese agent, the CIEC, And it quickly became apparent that the situation got so much worse there so quickly. And we obviously had to make the decision to transition the Chinese pavilion into a virtual and and not have a physical presence there. And we made that call on Valentine's Day, which was a Friday. And I remember sitting there at 8pm with a takeaway curry and on the conference call to our American senior bosses thinking this is not really the ideal Valentine's Day for anyone. Naively, we thought okay, we've parked China. And then the weekend before we went on build-up was obviously the Italian regions of Lombardy and Venetia went into lockdown. And suddenly we were looking at our Italian exhibitors thinking, okay, where are the gaps on the floor plan going to be? Who else are we going to lose due to travel restrictions? So yes, in hindsight, to be able to still have over 300 exhibitors at KBB 2020 was, well, nothing short of a miracle, really. Yeah, and the fact that it's only every two years means it's actually one of the few shows where the normal schedule has been un- uninterrupted by the pandemic again so it's very it's very lucky that it's sat in that pocket in between two shows yeah we are very lucky i mean i sit in management meetings and i've got other event directors saying oh we've just postponed our show for the fourth time or the likes of decorex is obviously our sister design show in our portfolio we had to cancel it last year and we didn't even get the go-ahead to run this year until really it was springtime. So whereas normally we have a, an entire year or an entire two years in KBB's case to plan, we've done Decorex in under six months. And then on the flip side with KBB, you know, I have various senior people asking, you know, what's the impact been? And I'm sort of not trying to brag when I say, actually, we've been fairly unaffected by it we've been very lucky and and john the sales director and i constantly joke that we're hopefully just going to bookend the coronavirus quite not quite nicely yeah well let's expand on that a little bit because as you say the events industry in particular has clearly been one of the hardest hit by the lockdowns so can you give us some kind of insight on what this experience has been like for you and your industry in general Honestly, I get almost upset talking about it in terms of the impact on the industry. I obviously have a lot of friends. We all have a lot of colleagues in the industry and so many people were furloughed. So many people were made redundant. Um, A lot of our contractors obviously had no jobs, no, you know, no work for months on end. And I I actually remember one of our, um, he's a 
feature builder and he became a Christmas postie and he was posting on LinkedIn and it was hilarious. He was he was having a great time. He lives up in Birmingham and he was delivering all of these Christmas presents to all of these people. And But actually he put up this incredible post where he said, you know, I've loved doing that for a couple of months, but my heart lies in the events industry and we need to get back. We need to get back to normal and we, we, we need to get back out there and doing what we all love and what we all have such passion for because I don't think you can work in the events industry without having a passion for it because it is long hours and hard work and you know there are some rubbish jobs that you have to do I mean I've definitely been cleaning toilets an hour before we've opened a show because of x y and z has happened and you know I wouldn't normally do that for for most for most jobs we're obviously coming out of it we've obviously come out of lockdown I I suppose I should say now that we've had freedom day I think international travel is still very much a barrier to large events um, getting back to full capacity I think that certainly this year in the UK we'll only see domestic shows at the likes of Olympia and XO and the NEC Um, but I guess out of the context of exhibitions the events industry it's wonderful to see the likes of Wilderness Festival happening this weekend and people going to gigs and people having weddings I mean that's the nicest loveliest thing to see so I think between events and hospitality and obviously travel yeah we were one of the worst affected industries but I'm very much hoping that we'll we'll bounce back yeah it really does feel like there's some life being breathed back into these things again just promise me something though in the future Jenny that you'll never tell me what the x y and z of those toilets were because I, I simply do not want to know. I can solemnly promise it was before my time at Informer and it was when I was um, an intern for an events company. I'm not going to name said events company, but it was a very classic intern's job uh, <laughs> cleaning the toilets. <laughs> I don't want to know the detail. Thank you very much. All right, let's let's talk KBB 2022. Uh, and we'll start with the foam declaration because I think it's important. It's happening, isn't it? It's on. It is happening. Unless Boris Johnson says otherwise, it is happening. Yes. So that's March the 6th to the 9th at the NEC in Birmingham, as always. Yep. I think we've got a chance here to clear up another common misconception too. The KBB show is organised by you in former markets, but we at KBB Review Magazine do not organise the show. But we do have our awards there, and in 2022 it's on the Monday night, March the 7th, and we do work very closely with you as your main media partner. Yes, and unfortunately people cannot bribe us for tickets to the KBB Review Awards as much as they try to and as much as we get hounded on site and unfortunately it's, we have to direct those queries to you we often have people phone up and say well i am exhibiting at your show can i not have a free ticket to the awards and it's it's like no they're two completely different things so you've just released the first list of exhibitors so how's it all looking so far is it going to be a big show yes we are aiming for over 280 exhibitors so we've got 160 signed at the moment so plenty of time for for more to join, um, obviously, we have a international exhibitor cohort at the moment that is still looking really strong. I think everyone is under the impression that these travel restrictions will eventually ease and we won't be having to quarantine and isolate in hotels as some of the countries on um, the red list you have to do at the moment. But yes, if we can do it three weeks before a lockdown, we can do it however many months after a lockdown. So we are very confident. And um, yeah, I think 
this year it's going to be extra special because it is one of the first events other than obviously the KBB Review Awards in September 21 in Liverpool. It's going to be one of the first big events where everyone can come together and this year's th- like unofficial theme I suppose is is bringing the community. It's all about the social side of things you know I know everyone loves the exhibitor drinks and the exhibitor happy hours and that kind of meeting over a beer or a glass of wine or whatever your tipple is and I think we're really going to focus on that next year because that's the heart of KBB at that networking element. Yeah I mean it is so important these face-to-face events. Will we see any post-pandemic changes to the show in terms of format? I know the ex- exhibition industry as a whole has been looking at overall guidance for its shows. Yes, so Informa have worked with other event organisers, government, Department of Culture, Media and Sports, venues in the UK, including the NEC and our contractors and main associations to create something called All Secure, which is essentially a set of guidelines and standards to reassure visitors, exhibitors and organisers that a healthy and safe environment is being created at exhibitions. So I'm going to plug the KBB website that information is available about All Secure under the COVID-19 safety page. But the two main differences, as you alluded to, Andy, are going to be wider aisles on the show floor. So every aisle bar a couple are going to be four metres. The rest will be 3.5. And that's to allow for social distancing. And that's just for us to manage the visitor density as well. And so people don't feel crammed into the show and so that people do feel like if they're not comfortable standing right next to someone and they can stand a meter or a meter a half away from from whoever it's it's about making people feel comfortable and and reassured and then the second big change is the removal of physical visitor and exhibitor badges and we are working with our registration company on facilitating digital badges that can be loaded onto smartphones Whereas previously we allowed on-site registration, we're going to ask that everyone pre-registers so that we can understand our visitor numbers a bit better. And we can plan that if, for example, day one is looking particularly busy, then we can put measures in place to make sure that the show isn't overcrowded in certain areas, for example. One of the things that happened to the events industry during the, uh, the lockdowns is there was a big shift to virtual events, a lot of them happening out of necessity. But do you think that the experience of that will lead to shows like KBB having a virtual element to them as well as the physical? Oh gosh, I could talk about this subject for a while. I think virtual events had a place in 2020 because it was a replacement for the physical shows that were being cancelled. And it was an opportunity for people to connect online I think there is a massive I'm going to use the phrase zoom fatigue but really it encompasses a lot more than that I think people are desperate to to speak to another person in the flesh now I think particularly for KBB which is a product event is is what I would call it because you are not going to buy tiles online without seeing them first you'd want to see that doorknob you want to see that shower tray in the person and I think virtual events allowed elements of that conversation to happen but ultimately our event KBB is buyer meets seller and seller meets buyer and I think that is a very hard transaction to replicate virtually so whilst there aren't any plans for a virtual event to complement KBB or to run alongside it as some other events in 
other industries are, are doing, I think there is an opportunity for us to create some more digital opportunities that would complement KBB the other 360 days that it doesn't run in that year. And then, of course, in our what we call off year, but, but the odd years that KBB isn't on. Is that suitably vague? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to know, isn't it? Because what you want to do is present a product or present an experience to people however they want to experience it. And that's happened in, in a lot of you know, my industry, the publishing industry, a lot, of course. It's all about the content. It's not about the method of delivery. And I think there's always people who would like to come to the event but can't for whatever the reason. And therefore, you don't want to miss them out. You don't want them to feel that they've, they just haven't experienced it in any way or they haven't touched you or touched the brand in some way. So I think there'll be certain, with a lot of exhibitors, I think there'll be some kind of hybrid element of it. They'd be foolish not to, I think. But this is a face-to-face event at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen virtual events, and again, I say virtual events in quotation marks, work very well for in, in other industries at Informa. And we've seen virtual events not work so well. And so KBB is very lucky Again, coming back to what you said earlier about how it hasn't really been affected by the pandemic, we didn't have to suddenly scramble and create something as a replacement. We were one of the smug ones that had managed to run an event in 2020. But I know on the flip side, I work on Decorex as well. You know, the Decorex industry, they are exactly the same as KBB. They like talking to people face to face. And the content as in terms of like seminar sessions went down very well at our virtual event. But we're not going to shy away from the fact that actually the meetings element of it didn't work so well because people don't need to have a platform where they can only arrange a meeting between 9am and 9.30 when ultimately there are so many other ways to connect with people online already. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes on into the future, isn't it? I think meeting people, seeing people in person is a big part of this industry in particular. I think there are other industries where clearly that is not as not as prevalent and therefore it might be easier if you're in accountancy or something. You know, there isn't a big product trade show in, in accountancy terms in the same way that there is for KBB. So what about the, the other element is, and I guess the answer is probably we just don't know, is what about things like COVID tests, certificates, that kind of thing? Are there likely to be measures in place for visitors? Yeah, so we don't know at the moment. I think based on what the government are saying, their latest indication towards that might be something we have to factor in was when they announced that nightclubs from September would only allow double vaccinated clubbers in. We are still waiting for the DCMS, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, to release their findings from the events research programme that's been taking place over the last few months. And that events research programme had every event from, you know, the Euros final to Wimbledon to the Home and Gift show up in Harrogate to Farnborough Air show to, I think, Silverstone F1 was also part of it. So it encompassed a whole range of events. And those attendees, some were mandated with masks, some weren't, some were, you know, you had to prove a negative COVID test some didn't they really played around with those those factors to see what the impact was so in terms of introducing vaccine certificates or proving a negative test or wearing face masks to be honest that's tbc uh, we in terms of face masks if people would like to wear face masks then we're not going to tell them that they can't in terms of mandating it that is a conversation probably to be had close to the time. Uh, we obviously don't know what winter is going to bring. 
So it's a bit of a watch this space and we will communicate as soon as we've made a decision based on findings from the government and advice from the government. It's just one of those things is we just don't know. I hope not. I hope that we don't have to do those things. But of course, anything that helps people feel safe, I think, is is advisable. Yeah, I think fortunately the NEC is set up for us to be able to do that if we need to. Well, I do remember 2018 with the snow. Yes, I would quite like 22 to have no weather fronts and no pandemics. That's that's all I ask for. <laughs> yeah, and no XYZ, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, and no XYZ. So look, Jenny, thanks so much for your time today. KBB show, it's so important for this sector, genuinely. This is a face-to-face industry, as I said, and, and we need big occasions like this to see and touch and feel new product, but also to gather and share ideas and experiences. I think that's a big part of what that show is. So, you know, this is the industry showroom, and I'm so pleased it's coming back in a way that's as close to normal as it's possible to get. So, look, that's March the 6th to the 9th at the NEC in Birmingham, and you can find out everything at kbb.co.uk. Perfect. Thank you. So thanks, Jenny. I'll see you then. Thank you. Bye. Let's talk about that most valuable of resources for independent retailers now, reputation. And in particular, what do you do when your reputation is threatened by customers who are disgruntled, for want of a better word, for reasons out of your control, such as delays that are happening in product deliveries? So joining me now, we've got friend of the pod, Shira Khan from Sheraton Interiors in Twickenham. Hello, sir. Hello, Andrew. And we have Andy Holland from Reputation Management Experts Ignite. Hello, Andy. Hello, Andrew. How are you? I'm very, very well. Thank you very much. And this is such an interesting topic because I think an awful lot of retailers have built reputations over the years, but now suddenly those reputations are spread across the internet in a way that perhaps are much less easy to control as we are about to demonstrate. So, Shira, you're the reason we're here today because you posted a very interesting question on social media about one of your clients. So set us up. Let's start with that. Give us the story. Well, basically, uh, we were facing the same dilemma that everyone's facing up and down the country with regards to appliances not arriving on time. So what we did was we emailed the client before the installation started. uh, And we thought we were, you know, that's a good service that we we were trying to inform them before we actually start the installation. And what we got back in result was just a barrage of abuse, extremely unhappy customer, they basically said, why didn't we order the appliances earlier? And then when I explained the situation that we had done, and this is, you know, there's a worldwide shortage, then I was told, well, if you don't pay me the difference, I will put a bad review up for you. And also accused us, the retailer, of not managing our supply chain, believe it or not. And and I kind of took that personally. It's just that, as you know, husband and wife team, you know, we work so hard to build our reputation and and our brand and just to you know have this thrown at us you know for us to kind of come to terms that we will end up or may end up with bad reviews um it it was distressing to say the least i mean retailers in my experience are all control freaks in the best possible way you know and you wouldn't be good at it if you weren't and uh, to get to those bits that are as i say out of your control i mean you can't make the trucks drive faster you can't make the factories work quicker to then be to be tarred with that brush if you like that this is all your fault uh, is very difficult to deal with so look andy that's that's a, a dilemma isn't it i think so what's your thoughts on how you know you you would deal with a situation like that where you know bad reviews are being used as a threat almost I think that there isn't a great deal you can do in terms of preventing that from happening in, in the first place, assuming that everything that you're, do, you're doing the, the best you can as a, as a company, as, as you've already explained. I think you're looking at really preempting those kind of things and ensuring that you have a strategy in place 
already to deal with it as and when it becomes visible online. I mean, if you're looking at certain review platforms, there are guidelines for the users who who post on those platforms in terms of what they can put online. So if it's purely a negative review, that is something that you really just have to deal with. But you can preempt that by directing happy customers to to leave positive reviews. So when when something negative does come in, it, it isn't the first thing that people see, or it will be the first thing people see for a period of time until you hopefully get new positive reviews coming in. I mean, in terms of what we do at Ignite, that strategy of preempting negative content, negative reviews, it covers a lot of what we do in terms of even in the search results. If, if you have a, a very small online presence, if you receive negative content, which is always a, a possibility, then the first thing people will see is that is that negative content. So having a, a robust review strategy in place will sort of lessen the blow when those when those negatives come in and it will enable you to to deal with it in a timely fashion as well so what is your advice then i mean that's very good i mean it's about balance isn't it it's about um having many more good reviews and bad reviews but what's your advice then for for how you deal with it how should you reply to it because clearly there's a certain level of unreasonableness going on here on the on the client's part getting into an online argument with them presumably not a good idea no, absolutely not. No, I think that the, the first thing that we always say to clients who have negative reviews is to take the conversation offline as quickly as possible. So you, you acknowledge the issue on the platform where they've posted the review and you would then advise the, the customer that you, you will have somebody contact them to discuss. And I know that in this instance, you're already having the conversation offline and then they're posting the negative review. But as you say, uh, Andy, you, you certainly don't want to have that, that conversation visibly on any sort of platform. And to up to a point, if they're continuing with, with this campaign of publishing negative reviews, it, it, you know, it has to be dealt with with the platform in question as well. It shouldn't just be something that you feel you have to deal with on your own as a business. There, there should be guidelines and people who can help you on, on these review platforms. I wouldn't say they're on your side because they, they like to, to maintain a balance and a sort of neutrality. But um, if a customer has been unreasonable and you've done everything that you can, you should have a corner to fight from, really. What are you thinking, Shiri, about how to deal with this? Because you know, she effectively wants to use this a threat as leverage to, to get you to give her some money back, effectively. Um, so it's, this isn't really a review, is it? It's more about if you, if you don't do this, I will do that. Firstly, I wanted to say thank you to everyone that commented on that post because I just got so many good ideas, which me and Nadia subsequently have sat down and we will be implementing. And, and, and I'll go through those as well in a second. But I think it also brought up another question, which was it's easier to bully and intimidate a small family business than it is, for example, let's just say John Lewis or the Wrens of this world. And that is a consumer mentality that, I would love to speak to someone about and, and get some insight as to how to sort of overcome that as well. But I think there was some, some great feedback. I think one of the things was to have a supplementary sheet titled, you know, COVID-19, which explains the current state of the market out there at the moment. And, and you can get your clients to sign that off just to ensure that they've read it. And for us, it's all about now, it's, it's all about managing the, the customer's expectations. I know this is probably, you know, it's always been the case, but more so now, I just think homing in on where we know the issues are and then just bringing that 
to the front and, and, and having a conversation before we actually order the kitchen with the client. So let's just say at the survey stage, just so they're prepared to what's going to hit them. I mean, I can completely understand it's not a nice phone call to get just before your, your kitchen's going to be installed. So I can understand them being upset about it. But at the same time, I, I just think we can manage their expectations by by having something like that in place. And also, you know, even if it just means educating them, I mean, you guys had a great article on the KBB review, which now I use as part of a template that I send to clients, because I think the headline was the biggest uh, supply shortage in, in 40 years. And we're still using that article. And believe it or not, it's worked. Clients have read that article and they've kind of gone, oh, we understand it's not your fault. And that's nice to hear from clients as well, just so they give us a little bit of breathing space. You know, you're kind of dealing with human beings and everyone has a different response. And, you know, some people are quite understanding whilst others kind of just see this as a, and you will have, especially the client I had, they've just seen it as a big stick to beat us up with. The worry with this is that you're dealing with that customer directly and, you know, some customers are very nice and some customers aren't. It's the idea that these things hang around, like a bad, a bad review online hangs around way after you've stopped any communication with uh, with that customer. And it's interesting you talk about feedback from, some, from that post you put on because, you know, there are a few people, and Ian, this is quite an interesting point to raise here, there are a few people who are effectively telling you to tell that customer to do something that's very biologically difficult to do to yourself. <laughs> and in it was a sort of really quite aggressive response, which, you know, it's very tempting to do in the moment, but it's about, I suppose, isn't it, Andy, tempering yourself and sitting back and taking a few deep breaths before you start responding to these things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's also as well about how that would look to potential to, to new clients as well. And I think we talked about, you know, having a, a balanced pitch and, and you don't want to be seen as, as somebody who gets into spats with customers and I, I think I, you've mentioned it, the best way to do is to cover all your angles and make it clear that you know it's a difficult time and every customer or client that you have is, is experiencing the same thing but you should really never be afraid I don't think to face negative negative reviews even if a person is is threatening you in the, in this manner if they're going to do it then they will do it yeah I think it's been prepared to to handle it when it comes in and as you say just taking a little moment to think about how you're going to respond and not not getting into an online an online spat so i suppose what you're saying there is that the public response that you make is not so much for the benefit of the person who's complaining it's for the benefit of everyone who's read that complaint absolutely yeah well, i think we usually say we try to respond within 24 hours to negative reviews it shows that you you're reactive and that you do care no matter how negative the review is it sounds like this person in particular isn't isn't going to be satisfied in in any circumstance potentially. So it would be, I think, about covering all your angles and showing that you well, we've tried, we've responded, and still not enough. I think a lot of people, as as we've mentioned, will will look at that and potentially take a, those kind of complaints with a, a pinch of salt. If you have a, a very positive online presence anywhere, I don't think that the damage is is going to be huge there are always two sides to a story so i think being able to tell your side of the story in a measured way where you are composed and you're calm and you're professional i think that also you know speaks volumes about your business and the fact that if you do and and i quite agree with andy the the fact that you know if you do get a negative review um and this was one of the um comments that was you know on the feed which was to respond to it in a professional manner measured and then just put your side of the story forward and hopefully 
you know, you can almost turn that bad review into, hang on a second, these people care. They're not just, you know, they're not leaving that review there. You know, they have responded. And as a matter of fact, you know, they've done a good job on the kitchen and, you know, the kitchen looks amazing. Unfortunately, there was, you know, items missing which are out of their control. And I, and I think that will resonate with a lot of people out there. And, you know, a lot, a lot of potential clients may see that not as a big deal. So I think initially, yes, I was extremely emotional, hence why I still haven't responded to their emails. <laughs> we have been in dialogue in dialogue with them, but I've not responded in an official capacity. And, and, and believe you me, they will be getting an email. But the other point I also wanted to add was it would be interesting to, I guess, for, for retailers to be educated in what the law actually states. You know, there's defamation, defamation laws out there, there's libel laws out there. Uh, someone also mentioned the Malicious Communications Act. You know, if someone's physically threatening you on email saying, if you don't give me this much money, I will leave a bad review. I mean, I'm pretty damn sure that's, that's not legal. And it's just us as retailers knowing what consumers can say and what they cannot say. I think that would be an amazing piece of information, you know, for us to manage this situation better going forward. I suspect, Andy, that that's a very grey area. Yes, I, I think so, yes. I mean, we we don't work too much in, in that aspect, on in the legal aspect of it, but we do have experience with defamation requests. I mean, may or may not be aware that Google themselves have a, a defamation removal form that you can can use that we you know we we've used in the past to have to have content removed that is clearly defamatory, but it isn't clearly laid out what constitutes defamation and whether or not something like Google or a review platform would be sympathetic. I think there are an exa- there are examples of obvious defamation which shouldn't be allowed to stand online, but it isn't always clear. And what you might feel is defamation other people may just consider that to be a, a negative review so it it is a gray area certainly but there are options for you should that need to be addressed i mean i think there's a broader point here i think as independent kbb retailers in general as i say their reputation is absolutely everything it is it is the thing that they uh, live and die on and bad reviews are something that they don't really have to deal with very often because they're very good at what they do but because it's because you online spreads so far and so wide you know negative reviews i guess are sort of inevitable aren't they even for the very best retailers sooner or later someone is going to be unreasonable about, about something no matter how good you are yeah absolutely and, and that's sort of going back to to what i mentioned earlier about making sure that as and when that that does come in it has limited negative impact and you can still maintain a, a balanced picture of your own search results or your own review scores i don't think people are unreasonable i don't think they expect to see entirely five-star reviews in fact sometimes People will say that they may feel a bit suspicious of a, of a company who only have positive reviews and a little bit of balance presents the image that, you know, it's it's genuine. And But also to be able to see that you're responding to those reviews as well shows that, well, if something does happen, they will be able to resolve that for me. So has this experience, Shira, made you want to be a bit more process-driven in how you deal with reviews, both positive and negative? No, absolutely. And um, I mean, it's not the first time that we've had to deal with, say, a client being, you know, unreasonable. The other times we could genuinely put our hands up and say, look, we messed up, but we'll fix it. Right. But this time I just kind of felt helpless. 
because it's completely beyond our control. And and the other point is, you know, you've got all these large suppliers, for example, supplying out appliances. If you go onto any of their websites, it absolutely has no information about any delays or any information about uh, supply chain disruption, etc. So also, I think the clients uh, out there are, are, are not educated. They're just not educated that there are issues out there because it's nowhere to be seen up until they physically get an email from us or, or, or a phone call from us. But, you know, going back to your to your question, yes, we are definitely thinking about our processes. And, and like I said, introducing that supplementary sheet, which was, again, uh, uh, some feedback on, on, on the post. So I'll credit the person who gave me that feedback. And I think that's a great way of, of informing the clients of potential issues that we know that are out there before it actually happens so they can kind of expect it if and when it does happen i guess improving communication i mean i feel we do communicate quite well with all our clients but i think again it's just down to expectations what we feel is good communication might not be good enough for you know someone out there so it's just covering all those bases but you know it's it's a tough tough time i mean i've spoken to so many people in the industry and everyone is saying the same thing this is the worst they've ever seen with regards to delays, et cetera, et cetera. This is speaking to designers, retailers, uh, account managers, all the way up to manufacturing level. And they're all saying the same thing. Um, so I, I don't know how soon this is going to turn. And, and I suspect it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, it's interesting that you say something as simple as a page on a website for that brand that you could point your customers at to say, look, this is the current view from that brand. It does sort of dissipate the the responsibility that sits with you a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, don't forget that the retailers up and down the country are spending hundreds of thousands of pounds with these brands. And I, just, I really do feel they have a responsibility. And at, at the moment, do I feel retailers in general or as a retailer that we've been supporting? supported um i don't think so you know and we're not even going into the discussion of you know redelivery costs installers going back and you know us as a business just absorbing all these costs that are affecting our bottom line so you know at the moment we're just talking about how do we deal with disgruntled clients i mean there is a financial aspect as well i, I do feel you know all, all these big brands do you know have some questions to answer um but unfortunately there's there's a lot of silence around and uh you know so, some retailers may remember this going forward and rethink their partnerships you know going forward whilst we understand i, I just feel you know a, a little bit more support which is consumer facing which kind of takes the heat off us because in fact all we do when when, when you really think about the process all we're doing is logging onto a portal and placing an order we, we have absolutely no control over the manufacturing of the appliances or the, the appliances actually physically arriving into the UK. But, you know, I, I do understand, you know, I'm not going to be as reasonable as my client. You know, I, I do understand there are genuine issues. I just feel perhaps they can support us so we can all kind of get through this together. There was all this saying about we're all in it together, but I just kind of feel the retailers have been left to, uh, you know, hang out there to dry a little bit. Andy, isn't it interesting? That is about as negative a review as you can get, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and isn't it interesting how these things go up the chain? And particularly with big corporate brands, they have reputation management people in there. They have crisis management people in there. And it's funny how these things do trickle down through the supply chain 
well or go up the supply chain as well yeah absolutely and and i think it it must be incredibly difficult for a small business as as we've discussed i mean we have worked with with a large brand of a similar similar nature they're more than happy to to pass the the customer on to to the manufacturer but it's not always something you can do as a small business so it's yeah it's a very it's a very difficult situation to be in but again it's a case of trying to control what you can control and and then making sure that you you're ready to deal with anything negative as and when it comes in because you you probably feel as well that you are you're sort of on your own, as you as you've mentioned. So it's it's a case of looking after yourself in that respect, in terms of having processes in place to deal with to deal with negative reviews and, and customer complaints. But it just shows, doesn't it, how important that is, regardless of the size of your business. Because clearly, as much as Shearer here is very concerned about the effect on his reputation, you would imagine that somebody sat in, a, in an office somewhere at one of these big brands would be responsible for reputation, as much as they're responsible for logistics or responsible for manufacturing, that that brand, the, the power of that brand sits with its reputation. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I don't think you're ever going to, it, it's difficult with the bigger brands because it's, it's, it's less personal to them. And I think, I think if you own a small business, it's, it's all, you're always going to feel it a lot more, not, not just, from a business point of view but personally as well it's it's a lot more personal when it's when it's your business the big companies behind you they're probably not going to to show as much as, as much love and care as, you, as a small business owner would so it's 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 always going to be a difficult situation yeah, yeah. i mean look shira do you think with the brands that you deal with your relationship with them is built on their reputation as much as yours isn't it i mean absolutely and i mean going forward I will obviously remember the brands that supported us. You know, I don't expect an oven to arrive magically out of thin air um, or any appliance. But, you know, I do I do expect some level of support, whether it's from my account manager or the brand itself, just supporting all the retailers. I just kind of feel, you know, a little bit let down because everyone is disclosing all these double digit growth in in terms of their businesses and and I we know that demand's really high right now and it just would have been I think good PR for them uh, especially amongst the independents which you know I feel probably account for a large chunk of their business just to assign a very small chunk of those double digit growth sales you know financially just to just to support us I mean that's you know all we're asking for is a little bit of support to help us mitigate going forward with our clients so we feel like okay great you know if, if there is a disgruntled client we have somewhere to go and it's not our fault because clients automatically assume it's your fault because the amount of clients that have told me well we signed our contract on this day you should have ordered it sooner it's it's unbelievable because that is their mindset their mindset is it's your fault. it can't be you know the big the big brand's fault you know it's, it's got to be yours well, you know what? Look, the, the clock's beating us here, Chas, but this is so interesting because, as I say, this is about your reputation, their reputation, and no matter how double-digit your growth is, if you're damaging your reputation, there's a long-term trend there that you don't want to, to, to have to deal with. But, look, this is so interesting. Thank you so much for, for discussing it with us, and thank you so much, Andy, for, for bringing your expertise in as well. And let's just see what happens in the next few months. Yes, th- thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you for having me again. Thanks for having me. See you later. 
Well, the ripples of the immediate issues caused by lockdowns continue to spread for so many retailers, don't they? And it will be so interesting to see what the true repercussions are when some kind of normality returns. So huge thanks to Shira Khan and Andrew Holland for that really interesting discussion. And of course, Jenny Purvis from KBB Birmingham 2022 as well. See you next time. Thank you.